Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. It's great to be with you today, as always. And we are broadcasting live today from the Nordic Center down at Utah Valley University, part of the uh, Herbert Institute uh, public policy event today with former Vice President uh, Mike Pence. Uh, the vice president joined us here live on Inside Sources and spent some good time with us talking about some principles, some policies uh, that are, are really crucial to the country and a different kind of conversation, which I thought was uh, really extraordinary. And to help us continue a really crucial conversation, uh, Billy Binion, uh, who is the associate editor at Reason Magazine and Reason.com, uh, this caught my eye uh, a little while ago, and it's uh, an area that I think is so crucial that we have a different way of looking at it. And Billy really dug into this in an amazing way, talking about uh, the criminal justice system and hiring formerly incarcerated people, how that is a good and positive thing. Uh, and he joins us on the line now. Billy, thanks for uh, jumping on with us today. Thanks for having me. Uh, so so dive us into this thing just a, a little bit. Uh, we've talked about a lot of different uh, elements to criminal justice reform. Uh, this is one on the back end that I think is absolutely vital uh, to helping people re-enter society and become contributing members of our community. Right. I mean, that's exactly it. So this, the right, this subject, I don't think does get a lot of play in the media because it's not, um, I guess it's not as perhaps as shocking as, you know, some of the criminal justice stories you see. Um, but something in the media did catch my eye recently. There have been some pieces running in, you know, some conservative outlets about essentially slamming um, congressmen or candidates for hiring formerly incarcerated people to work for them. Um, and it strikes me as the wrong approach for a party. You know, if we're talking about conservatives and Republicans who talk about wanting to, you know, make communities safer and wanting to decrease recidivism, which is the rate at which people return to prison after leaving. Um, and one of the ways the data show to decrease recidivism is to make sure that people, when they leave prison, have jobs. And to, to me, that's like it's not only borne out by the data, but it's also borne out by common sense. You know, if you leave prison and you're stuck in poverty and you're not a productive member of society, of course, you might turn back to crime and find yourself, you know, right back like yeah. a revolving door through prison. Um, so I think that if we do care about increasing public safety, which is a big conversation right now, you know, over the last few years, criminal justice reform, I think, went from one of the less discussed topics to one of the more discussed topics. But this part is really missing from that conversation. And to me, it, it shouldn't even be partisan. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. we should all care about making sure that when people leave prison, that they don't return uh, to a life of crime. If we care about cultivating safe communities and making sure that people have jobs after they leave is definitely a part of that. Yeah, so let's, let's talk about some of the, the barriers to that. Obviously, some business owners uh, are saying, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go there. As you mentioned, the, 
There's some on the political side of things that don't want to touch anything in that space. Uh, let's talk about some of the unique values and some of the reasons why businesses should include this as part of their hiring process. Right. I mean, so one of the barriers for formerly incarcerated people entering society, again, I mean, like this doesn't have to do with employment per se, but oftentimes they can't even get an apartment, you know, right. because people see a felony record and they're rejected. Um, same thing goes for screening for employment. And so it's just these factors that keep adding up. If you leave prison and no one will house you and no one will hire you, then we should not be shocked when people yeah. start robbing again or like turn to violence, you know, and that doesn't mean that those actions are okay or excusable, but we should care about making sure that people can be productive and can overcome those barriers once they do leave prison. Um, because like I was talking, like I was talking about, you know, if we care about reducing recidivism rates, um, you know, we should want to make sure that people can do that. Another way that, you know, I talk about in the piece is our educational opportunities behind bars, you know, so like this, what people can do when they are still incarcerated and that 94 crime bill that is very notorious took away a lot of funding or took away pretty much all the funding for currently incarcerated people to pursue higher education behind bars. Um, and I understand that, I guess, from like a vengeance perspective, if you feel like people are not deserving of those opportunities because they have done bad things. But I would like to turn that logic on its head because, you know, when you're behind bars, that's, you know, they, we say that is your time to rehabilitate yourself. So it makes no sense if we take away the tools with which people can rehabilitate themselves, um, which is, you know, why I think this is something that we should keep talking about. Yeah, I, I could not agree more. And so often we fall into that trap of treating those in the criminal justice system as if they are just these liabilities to be managed rather than treating them like human beings with infinite potential. Uh, they're, they're really an asset that just needs to be developed. Uh, and so doing that while they're behind bars, being able to have those education opportunities is crucial. Having a glide path out uh, of the system is so important. And again, whether that's housing, whether that's employment, uh, whether it's just picking up the skills that maybe they missed when they were you know, on the street or in the gang or dealing with drugs or, right. or a life of crime. Uh, what are some of the other things that we should be thinking about? What will help us cut through some of the noise out there to make sure we're getting good, productive conversations and policy that can make a difference in this space? Yeah, I actually love that question because I think about this a lot. I think that with any political discussion, um, criminal justice in particular, it's really dominated by the fringes. Mm. Um, the loudest people kind of grab the mic. But just because you're loud doesn't mean you speak for everyone. It just means you're loud. Um, so, I mean, I think about I feel like the entire criminal justice debate is really dominated by people who basically say back the blue no matter what. And people who are now talking about, like, abolishing prisons um, and, like, you know, defunding and abolishing the police, whatever, kind of like just the most radical ideas on both sides. And I actually, I mean, according to the data, the vast majority of the people don't live on either one of those spectrums or of, of those, you know, polar opposites. Um, so I think a lot of it comes down to, like, the way we cover these issues. And, you know, like I said, the people who are on the fringes often grab the mic and the media gives it to them because they're interesting. It's really interesting to hear someone say, like, oh, abolish the police or defund the police. I'm not an abolish the police kind of guy. I'm not even really a defund the police kind of guy. But I believe in, like, very – I believe in second chances, which I would like to add was very non-controversial just a few years ago when President Trump was in office. You know, all House Republicans save two – voted for the First Step Act, which the right. First Step Act, for those who don't know, was essentially an, a bill about second chances. And it passed 
overwhelmingly. One of those people that supported it was Elise Stefanik, who's a Republican from New York. Um, and in a recent interview with the New York Post, was blasting uh, Representative Sean Maloney, who's a Democrat, for hiring, quote unquote, hardcore criminals. I'm, and it makes me wonder, you know, did she not read the bill that she supported? You know, like, or does she not believe in redemption anymore? You know, because this is something that to me, like I said, doesn't have to be partisan. I, you know, I'm a libertarian. I don't really believe, I don't really uh, agree with Rep. Maloney on very much at all. Um, yeah. But I say good for him that he hired two people with criminal records. I Absolutely. I think, think it's a good thing. Yeah, uh, so good. I'm so glad you you mentioned that First Step Act. Of course, uh, Utah Senator Mike Lee was uh, uh, involved in a lot of that bipartisan work, uh, and it's right. such a historic piece of legislation. And and I'm so glad you're calling out those who now, for political purposes, are are flipping the script and uh, suddenly right. either lost the policy, didn't read it, uh, or uh, no longer believe in redemption. And and I'm one of those who believes that America is a redemption story. Uh, right. And we have to live up to I that. I think it really speaks to the difference between politics and policy. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, like I said about the way we discussed these issues prior, I I think that's transferable to a lot of discussions we have these days. You know, politics yeah. is performative and policy is actionable. Um, and, you know, policy is actually what matters. But people so often opt for politics because, you know, it's what gets them attention on social media or whatever. But, you know, like I said, these these laws passed Overwhelmingly, another example, speaking of Mike Lee, he was the one who really pushed initially to restore Pell Grants, which is educational funding for currently incarcerated people. And Trump, that was one of the last things he signed in office. You know, those are two big criminal justice reforms that were extremely uncontroversial across the aisle behind closed doors. And now we have this nonsense, you know, like this news cycle where, you know, Dr. Oz is blasting John Fetterman for hiring two people that were released on clemency recently i mean it's just like these are things that that shouldn't really be it shouldn't be an argument there's lots of legitimate stuff to take issue with john fetterman and him hiring formerly incarcerated people is simply not one of them yeah absolutely uh great insight uh billy binion from uh is the associate editor reason magazine reason.com it is a great piece uh and i love that you've focused on this idea of the performative of the political stuff and the actionable uh of real policy and that's the conversation we've we've got to get to billy thanks so much for joining us today great perspective great insight thanks All right. uh, Again, that's uh, Billy Binion, associate editor of Reason Magazine, Reason.com. And this whole area of criminal justice reform is so important. There's been some great bipartisan work done, and there's a lot more yet to do. Stay with us. We'll step aside for one last commercial break. Final thoughts coming up from Utah Valley University on Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. We'll be right back. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.